the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You've probably heard it said a thousand times over. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. Yet the law of God still has a place in our lives as Christians, as we'll see today on this edition of Abounding Grace. Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. Welcome to the program. We're continuing our survey of Luke. We're in chapter 6 today, looking at the first five verses, a message that Pastor Gary Wagner is simply entitled, The Law of God Enhances and Beautifies the Christian Life. Ah, but you say, we're under grace now, no longer under the law. True, when it comes to our salvation, but what about our response to God? You see, a careful review of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament as given by God reveals to us the fact that God brought them out of bondage into a new land across the Red Sea. Therefore, he says, do all of these things. You see, the law of God now becomes a response for us as we find ourselves redeemed by grace. Join us for clarification on this edition of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. They could quote Exodus 34 that says, you cannot reap on the Sabbath. But they didn't know anything about how 1 Samuel 21 related the Sabbath observance. So, this is the point. Here is the great point Jesus makes to these men. The finality of the Bible over human traditions. The Bible's authority is final. No matter what man says, it is the word of God that has the final voice in every decision we make about anything pertaining to faith and its practice and thought and behavior. The authority of the Bible is the final word. We must not put any human writings, no matter how much we cherish those writings, on par with the Word of God. Whether those writings are philosophical or historical or religious or ethical or whatever they might be. There is absolutely no book that has the same authority at all or even comparatively as the Word of God. And in Jesus simply referring to this passage of Scripture, He is saying that is what he intends for these men and us to understand. Your traditions mean nothing to me, Mr. Pharisee. The Word of God is everything. Now you probably realize that's a radical statement. In fact, Mr. Pharisee basically says, my traditions that are so precious to me and my my people that are the basis of our whole life that we have died for, that we have shed our blood for, that we have suffered under the Babylonians for and the Assyrians and the Romans for, my traditions are nothing? Yes, Mr. Pharisee, that is the point. When it comes to the authority on how life is to be lived, there is only one authority for the Christian. Now, that seems logical to most of you, but that's not the way we live. Beloved, it has nothing to do with reason. 
It's not nature. It's not experience. It's not even the voice of the church. It is this book, the voice of Almighty God. And I beseech you, beloved, study this book with all of your heart. Now, there's only one source of truth, one source of morality, one standard by which you can distinguish right and wrong anywhere in the universe that God has given us, His creature, and that is the written Word of God. Jesus does not enter into debate with these men, not even a little. He simply quotes His Word. He sets that Word out and over against everything else. Do you remember what... Paul said, how how he actually said it. Paul said in his many conflicts, many conflicts with the Jewish people, that there are a lot of people who are going to disagree with me. I am certain of that. But let God be true and every man a liar. That must be said by us as well, beloved. Not in any kind of arrogant, boastful way, and certainly not in reference to ourselves. Let us be true and every man a liar. But it must nevertheless be the reflection of every sincere believer in the Word of God. If any man, for any reason, contradicts the Word of God, whether we can answer them or or refute them or not, we must be able to say in our hearts, let God be true and every man a liar. Because the Bible alone is the final authority. Did you know that the best way to stimulate a depressed economy is just to print trillions of new dollars and just throw it out into the economy. Yeah, that's what all the liberal news rags and magazines keep trying to tell us. Certainly the well-educated, radically fascist Obama administration knows what's best for America. And they care so much for us that they wouldn't do anything to harm the American economy, right? I mean, they have all those ivory tower experts telling us that if we hadn't received the stimulus package and bailed out the banks and some of the industry, we'd be in the financial toilet by now. I mean, after all, you look around. People are still going out to dinner. There are no soup lines anywhere. Movies and sporting events. Did you see the 49ers game today? The stands were packed. Tourism is formidable. Hawaii, I found out while I was over there, is up 18%. Retail sales were up this past month. Unemployment dropped by a fraction of a fraction. The economy's on its way back, right? How does one answer these lies? First, you show them the unaltered statistics about our economy, the truth. The failure of the housing market, the failure of mom and pop stores, the backbone of America's economy. You show them the real unemployment figures and the huge deficit, and then... Then, beloved, you take them to the word of God and let God be true and every man a liar. Take them to Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 and show them what civil government is supposed to look like and what liberty truly is. Take them to Exodus 22 and Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 23 and teach them the truth about usury. Show them through the 8th commandment that theft is not only sinful on the private level but also on the civil level when government uses the power of the gun to confiscate, to to enforce confiscate, confiscate, 
confiscatory taxation for the growth of the bureaucratic Leviathan, or to finance the evil of baby killing, or holding off the economic systems of ungodly nations and financing drawn-out no-win wars. God has given us a perfect economic system based on limited government, sound money, and individual responsibility. The Bible is a blueprint for economic stability and growth based on liberty, not man's planning. Let God's word be true and every man a liar. But remember, beloved, you must know God's word and what it says about economics and about foreign affairs and about marriage, and about the limits of civil government, and about ecclesiology, to be able to defend God's blueprint for all of life and against the encroachments of humanism. A lack of understanding of what God's word commands in these areas has very serious consequences. We must repent of our lack of understanding and get busy studying and applying the Word of God to all of life. Jesus' point in quoting 1 Samuel 21 was express the finality of the Word of God in all areas of life. Secondly, Jesus is telling the Pharisees that they don't understand the purpose of biblical law. Here you are, supposedly the experts on the law of God. But you can't even understand what the purpose of the law of God is. He says, I want to quote 1 Samuel 21 to show you how to interpret Deuteronomy 23, Exodus 30, Exodus 24. They say, don't work on the Sabbath, don't reap on the Sabbath. All right, now I'm going to quote 1 Samuel 21 and show you how all these things are related. Your problem is, Mr. Pharisee, that you have never taken seriously what the purpose of God's law is. Well, you're out there saying, well, what is the purpose of God's law? God's law has many functions, but what is its purpose? Jesus understood that the one divinely given purpose of the law is to guard, to enhance, and to promote life. Now, this, is, this is something that's important for all of us as Christians to grasp. Because in our culture, the law of God is something that's seen as burdensome and something that squelches and restricts even among our brothers and sisters. It's out of pace with this rapid-moving world today. It's important for us to understand and tell other people that the reason that God gave us the laws found in His written Word is not to restrict life, but to guard, enhance, promote, and beautify a person's life. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that God's Word can get, that, that I'm not saying God's Word can give life. That's not possible. The Bible says, because of your sin, you are dead in your trespasses and sin. Inside, in other words, you're spiritually dead. And reading the law of God will not give you life. The law of God cannot make a dead person come to life. It cannot make a bad person good. It will not transform one's heart. All the law of God can do is show you how you should live and condemn and judge you if you don't live by it. Now, the gospel of Christ is not something that enhances life. It actually gives life. It's powerful enough to make a dead man alive. It's powerful enough to make a man, bad man good. It's powerful enough to transform the entirety of a man's life by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And once the power of the gospel has transformed life, then God gives you his law word and he says, Now, here is how you are to manifest that new life. Here's how you are to express that new life. So now as a new creature in Christ, if you do what pleases him and obey his commandments and walk in the way that he has set before you, that will enhance and beautify your life. Moreover, it will protect you from all kinds of snares and pitfalls that engulf most people in this age. The purpose of the law of God is to enhance, beautify, and promote life and to guard life from becoming dangerous and ugly. Let me show you some verses in the Bible that bear this out. You probably better write these down because I'm going to be going through these very quickly. Leviticus 18. I want you to see that the Word of God is a wonderful gift from Him. And it should be a pleasure on the part of us as Christians to obey it because of what it does in our lives. Leviticus 8, 10, 4, and 5. You shall do my judgments and keep my ordinance to walk or live therein. I am the Lord. Ye therefore keep my statutes and my judgments. With if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean one can become a Christian by obeying the law of God. We know this because of the presupposition, of the, the preposition, you, ye or you. The people, in other words, the people to whom Moses is speaking, who are the people of God, his redeemed people. So he's saying, to this redeemed people, obedience to the law of God is your life. You don't really know what life is or have anything worthy of the name to be called Christian if your life is not marked by obedience to my law, motivated by faith in Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 6, 24 and 25 says, Deuteronomy 6, 24 and 25, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now notice what is going to characterize your life as you walk in obedience to God. To fear the Lord God for our good. Things will work out for your good if you obey. You're going to survive in a world facing God's judgment. And your entire life will be characterized by righteousness, by goodness, by purity, by conformity to the character of God. And there is nothing, nothing more beautiful in the world than the character of God. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verses 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Choose life, that you may live. How do you choose life, beloved? By loving God the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and energy, by obeying His voice and by holding fast to Him. For this, it says, is your life and the length of your days that you may live in a land which the Lord swore to your fathers. Choose life. How? By clinging to God and by obeying Him. So how do you choose death? You choose death by holding on to your own life and disregarding the law of God and living by your own will and your own whim 
and your own fancies. Anyone who does not live by the word of God, he says, is dead and will remain dead. Anyone who lives by the word of God and clings to him shows that God has given him life. And that that life will be enhanced and protected throughout all eternity down through his generations. Deuteronomy 32 verses 45 through 47. And Moses made an end of speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do, all the words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life, and through it he shall prolong your day in the land. The law of God and our obedience to it as Christians is our life, beloved. Take away the law of God from us. And not only do we walk in ethical darkness, but our life becomes bitter and empty. Is that your experience? Do you tweak and adjust the law of God that, so that you might have so-called more freedom? So that you can do more things and you won't feel guilty when you do them? You can get away with more. You say how sweet it would be if we could just simply pick and choose what the law of God, what laws that we shall obey. Yeah, I say, but I'm a Christian, so I guess I'm going to go ahead and obey. Is that you? If that's you, beloved, you just may not be a Christian. Because for the Christian, the law of God is his life. And he delights in the law of God. You say, now, Gary, those are all Old Testament texts, and we live in the New Testament today. Okay, well, if that's going to be the way that you're going to look at that, let's turn to a passage or two in the New Testament. In Romans 7, you see the New Testament saying the same thing about the law of God as in the Old Testament. Romans 7, 9, and 10. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became, uh, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment that was to result in life proves to result in death for me. Paul says, the law of God killed me. It was given to enhance, but it killed me because I was in rebellion against it. And it wasn't until I repented of that rebellion and put my faith in Jesus that I understood what it means to say that the purpose of the law of God is to enhance and to beautify my life. One more text. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and following. Refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness for bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. Obedience to the law of God is not only profitable after you, do you die, brothers and sisters, but it is profitable in life as well. It not only enhances and beautifies your life when you go to heaven, but your life right here on earth. God's law is a beautiful and liberating thing. And you can never really know what it is to be free until you love the law of God and you seek to obey it. You will never be able to accomplish even small things for the glory of God, let alone great things. Unless you love the law of God and you seek to obey it out of love for him. 
If your life is sour and bitter and empty and full of guilt and frustration and you seem to be spinning your wheels getting nowhere with no idea about your future, it's not because God has failed you. It's because you have failed Him. Refusing to live your life in terms of His law that has as its purpose not to cramp and restrict or squelch life, but to enhance and beautify and protect it. Dr. Rushaswarsduni said in his little work entitled Law and Liberty, he says, the first basic operation of God's law in man's life and world is a blessing. If God's law is obeyed, man is blessed. The law then is productive of life to man because, as St. Paul declared, the law was ordained to life, Romans 7.10, and told that it is God's requirement that we obey, that the days may be prolonged, and it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, Deuteronomy 5.16. Moreover, the scripture declares, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shall thou be in the city, and blessed shall thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shall thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand to. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee in holy people unto himself as he has sworn unto thee. If thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of thee. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods and the fruit of thy ground, and the land which the Lord swore unto thee unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasures, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and they shalt not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee a head, and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If thou... If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them, and thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. Deuteronomy 28, of course. This then is the first major form whereby God's law is operative in the world by blessings. The second major form of God's operative law is cursing. God curses and blights every disobedient person and people brings them and people and brings them to judgment according to scripture but it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all of his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee cursed shall thou be in the city and cursed shall thou be in the field cursed shall thou be in thy basket and thy store cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land and the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep Cursed shall be thou when, they, when thou comest in, and cursed shall be thou when thou goest out. Beloved, God's word is liberating. It is a blessing to us. It beautifies and it enhances and it protects. 
How can the church today ignore such a blessing and claim the law has no significance for the New Testament believer? But remember, to be able to apply it to every area of life so that it enhances and it beautifies your life, you have to know it. And to know it, you have to study it. Now, keeping all this in mind, Next week, we're going to find out how the Lord Jesus Christ could speak so approvingly of David disobeying a flat-out ceremonial law that said only priests could eat the showbread. So you've got to come back next week, beloved. Amen. And that is Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we close out our time today, I'd leave you with our address, phone number, and our website. We'd love to hear from you. It always means a great deal to us when we hear somebody who has been listening to the program and being encouraged by it. It makes a big deal for us. 408-866-5607 is that phone number. Again, call us, 408-866-5607. Or visit our website and leave us an email, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. We also have past messages available, uh, an extensive library of audio that you can tap into at any time for free, right there at our website, again, reformedheritage.org. Other resource materials are available from that website as well. If you'd rather write to us, the address is Abounding Grace. PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That is here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Normally, we'd invite you to join us for worship, but since we have been suspended because of the COVID-19 crisis, we invite you to visit our website instead and pick out a couple of recent messages that Pastor Gary has delivered here at Reformed Heritage Church. Again, reformedheritage.org. We'll also give you updates at that website as to when we return to normal worship. And you're always welcome to call us as well for that kind of information, 408-866-5607. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. 